at the center of the universe. At the border between the light and the dark stands Castle Grayskull. For countless ages, the heroes of Grayskull have defended the universe against the forces of evil. Walk through the Hall of Living Pictures and learn the history and mystery of the masters of the universe. Dive deep into the mythology of Eternia, Etheria, and more. For those who know the stories of Grayskull will come the power. The power to be supreme. The power to be all-knowing. The power to be... Legends of Grayskull. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode four of Legends of Grayskull. The fan podcast where we discuss the history, the mystery, the magic, and mythology of He-Man, She-Ra, Eternia, Etheria, Primus, Golden Books, Ladybird Books, Kids Stuff, Records, Tapes, Filmation, Jet Lag, and Mike Young Productions. Woo-hoo. I'm Matthew Dooch. <laughs> I'm here with Sean Scavarna. How are we doing today, Sean? I'm doing okay. How are you? I oh, can't complain. A little, little cold here, but... Yeah, a little cold in the basement. <laughs> you saw me as Darth Darth Skavarna earlier with the hoodie up. So yeah, no, it's yeah, it's been crazy weather here. We had like fifty five degrees over the weekend, and now this morning yeah. I woke up to snow flurries, and it's back down in the like teens. So well, yesterday afternoon it was in the mid to upper fifties, and my daughter and I were outside playing ball after she got home. And this morning, I'm like, I don't want to be in my base, but this is freezing down here. <laughs> yeah, that so. was us on Sunday. I had the day off, and before the Super Bowl, like, we all went outside. The kids just had hoodies on, and we're riding their bikes. Yeah. And now they're begging to go out today, and it's like, uh, no. <laughs> bundle bundle up, yeah. <laughs> right? No, no fun. But, hey, let's 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 talk about some good stuff let's, instead of the weather. How about that? Let's dig into it. <laughs> so, today we've got, thanks to... Dan Rice over on uh, Lucky Legends, I think, was where we finally got a little bit of a nibble. Yeah, yep. Yeah, we were, we just threw out some stuff, talking to some people on the Facebook groups, asking what kind of episodes are, are present in their mind. And uh, Dan Rice mentioned Separation, uh, episode 24 of the Mike Young production series. So we figured let, let's go ahead and jump on that for a little bit today. Sure, another 2000X goodie. Yep. And, uh, and now Sean did uh, have to be the guy picking it, because he's Mr. 2000X. So he, he... Well, I, <laughs> I, hey, I did Daymar the other time, but ah. no, you had another good option that we're going into something else, and probably next episode we'll go there, but oh, yeah, we'll, we'll it's fun for me to go back to this, because uh, 2000X, uh, once again, uh, you get spotlights on characters that didn't have a whole lot of spotlight in filmation, and... I don't know. This is one of those where it it is a really cool episode to watch and go too bad by himself wreaks enough havoc in this episode (laughs) that it truly makes you go like he's like a one. Well, two man technically, (laughs) but a one man like destructive force. And I I actually am am impressed by this episode on on a bunch of different levels. And I also have questions on a couple levels. Oh, I'm sure. So. Yeah, I rewatched it this morning for the first time in, in a while. I can't remember the last time I did watch it. Uh, but before we dig into the meat of it, I'm going to get this part at the beginning this time. So this is, uh, like I said, episode 24, Separation. This was written by Larry Dottilio, which I'd forgotten about this one by him. I knew it was uh, quite a few. Uh, yeah. And it was directed by Gary Hartel. So, mm-hmm. 
So, so. Yeah, I forgot that he wrote this one. I, I know Lessons because everybody goes to Lessons. Lessons. Uh, Price of Deceit is the one that I pop back to a lot. For That's right. Yeah. And, uh, I'm pretty sure. Didn't he write Dragon's Brood as well? I want to say he did. That one I'd have to look up, to be honest. I don't think it's on this. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, I should have known this is a Larry Dottilio one because this one, <coughs> this one has a lot more of, um, like the, the, the mythology stuff kicks in in this one with, you know, the history of Eternia and the different aspects of what is going to be done here. So I should have figured that out, but I don't know. I missed that part because I was eating breakfast while I was also watching it. I'll be completely honest. Yeah, it's not as prominent of a title card as the Filmation series had. It flashes while the action's happening. Instead of a separate mm-hmm. title card. Um, for me, since you brought it up, uh, I can always tell by the Sorceress in the Mike Young production series. The Sorceress, okay. when Larry's writing her, uh, is is much more friendly, much more, I hate using the word, but filmation-y. Like, she's mm-hmm. less of the, the cold Sorceress that you see in, in most of the Mike Young productions, so... Yeah, it, when when Dean Stefan writes her, I feel like she is an exposition machine usually, yeah. and uh, and that's uh, my my issue with her on the first episode was mostly that like she's throwing everything at Adam <clears throat> right up front, and Adam's like, you know, like it, it would be no wonder the guy doesn't want to be <laughs> he man. And you're right on this one, looking at it, it's like yeah, she's she's a kinder, gentler, more of a nudging force to get him. Right to get to where he needs to go in this episode and stuff. So yeah, that's, that's a good way to describe it. She is a kinder, kinder and gentler nurturing sorceress. Yeah. <laughs> and not to rant tangent too long, but uh, yeah, the sorceress and Mike Young, uh, especially it's, I, I get both viewpoints. Um, like you said, Dean Stefan, I, I feel he took it in like the, he, he went with the, she's been isolated for years you know, she's all to mm-hmm. her duty, which I get that. Basically, there's two branches that the sorceress can take and makes her two very distinct personalities. When you play up her loneliness and her seclusion, you get, you know, the traditional Mike Young sorceress. Mm-hmm. Whereas a filmation, I always felt like she was overcompensating to where she's had to give up her daughter. She's had to live this life of solitude. And so she's like... She's like that lady that lived on your block that couldn't have kids. So she like baked goodies for like all the neighborhood children and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like she overcompensated to the other level where she's going to be the mother to all because she can't be the mother to her own daughter. So Yeah, that makes sense. Nothing nothing wrong with either in my opinion, but that's that's the distinct life path, you know, that you, you know, that you go down with her. Yeah. So let's uh let's jump in the episode here. So yeah, like you said, this is very this is too bad's episode. Um, there's a yep. little bit of He Man, and there's a Roboto and Cyclone uh, subplot. <clears throat> Excuse me, my throat is killing me today. So go ahead, open up the show. Well, we started out with like a typical like a uh, what, what, what what there's an actual term they use like a you know everyday kind of a scene, and you get to see what it would be like to be too bad to have a meal. Yeah. And uh, it's something that you wouldn't think about necessarily, but it's really fun to see the comedic value of that because here he is trying to eat and Tuvar is just sitting there bored and he's annoyed and Badger's eating this horrible food and he's, and then 
uh, it makes Tuvar burp, yeah. and he's just like, I hate that I can taste what you're eating and all that. And they're having their moments and stuff. And then um, they're fighting. Next thing you know, Stinkor shows up and he talks about this, uh, this sort or now nah, he's not like a sorcerer. He's like a, he's, he's almost like a librarian of sorts. I would, I would think, uh, called Vormus. I thought he did refer he says, to him it, as a wizard, not to interrupt. Maybe it is. Okay. A wizard or, or, um, wizard, sorcerer, librarian. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he, he says that he has this friend Vormus and Vormus might know a way to separate Tuvar from Badra and make them the separate entities again, because they haven't been able to figure out how to get away from each other. They're sick of each other. Yeah. They're ready to kill each other at this point. And, um, and then that just sets everything in motion. I like that, that Stink was like, I could show you where he is. And they're like, yeah. no thanks. And they just walk out. They don't even know anything other than a name. And they just walk out of Snake Mountain because they want to get away from him. Yeah, and they, um, they, they track the Stink or gag. He's filling the room with gas and everything. Yeah. Yeah, which, I mean... <laughs> Uh, just uh, real quick, you know, it's like I I love that Stinkor is in 2000X, yes. and I I uh, for as for as many people as might think he's a fart joke, the way they put him in this is great, and I love this is right after his episode where he mm-hmm. becomes Stinkor, so you know it's like just having him show up as like a nod to the previous episode I think is really cool too, um, but they find this Vormis character, and he. He ends up finding this. And here's here's one of my questions right off the bat. Um, we have the subplot with Cyclone and Roboto, which that whole subplot involves Cyclone feeling he is he's lost his family. He's the last survivor of Anwat Gar and all this stuff. And the whole the whole storyline for them, which to me is like it's like a drop in the pan compared to what the rest of the episode is. Or dropping the bucket. Yeah. I mean, it is um, here's Cyclone saying he's got to search out his family because Roboto's like, well, my my uh, my data bank suggests that you know family keeps on multiplying, so there has to be other ones out right. there. When they meet Vormus, first thought in my head because honestly, the last time I watched it, it didn't click. Is he a gar? Uh, here we go. He's blue and he's got the the ears like Keldor. Yeah. So I'm just curious because that automatically, like that almost answers the question right there in the beginning of the episode with Vormus being there. Yeah, well, I mean, and it's, and here's where the Gar thing gets tricky in 2000X and because they never really got the chance to answer it fully. Mm-hmm. What makes a Gar? Because actually if you, and, and, Here's a point here where we're, where we are digging into unreleased material here because really yeah. in 2000X, Gar is never defined other than it's a person from Anwat Gar. In the series, the only Gar we meet for sure is Cyclope, who mm-hmm. does have blue skin. Um, in the behind the scenes info, they say that Keldor and I believe Cronus are also Gars. You know, uh, Cronus was, Trap job before he got all disfigured. Yeah. So is the blue skin signifying the Gar in this series, or is it just people from Anwat Gar, but they could be all different colors of skin? And that's, uh, I went by the color of the skin, which makes me probably racist, <laughs> but I'm just saying, and I, which I try not to be, I'm not, I don't consider myself that, but when I looked at it, I'm like, okay, and that- Keldor has pointed ears. 
He's blue skinned. And this guy, I don't know that he's got, he's got those two aspects at least. So it made me just start like looking at him going that already answered the question. I feel, but maybe. mm. And for the most part, and that's basically where everything after 2000 X has taken it. The Gar are blue skinned pointy, pointy eared uh, race. So, you know, DC Comics did it, the Classics Bios did it, and that's where it's become. I mainly I mainly bring this up not even just to start, like, a uh, not a fight, but I just bring it up to say, like I did with the Anti-Attorney episode, it's, you know, what has become versus what was actually presented. Mm. Um, but, yeah, the, the general thought, and based on interviews but with the creators after the show ended, uh, yes, you know, there are still Gar, obviously, because Keldor's one, Cronus is one. I'm sure this Vormis would fit into one. Um, actually, even if you get into the, the plans they had for Season 3 and beyond, uh, even Queen Marlena was going to be a Gar. Yeah. So, they... Uh, <coughs> excuse me. But to answer your, uh, to answer your question, um, I took it as he wanted to find... His direct descendants. Okay. Not okay. so much are there Gar still, but are there any part of my family, my village? Because they go back to Anwat Gar, they go to this singular village, which mm-hmm. isn't even the temple that we saw earlier where Cyclone was mm-hmm. when they found the legacy stones. It's this other village. So I'm looking at it more like. He wants to find the Duches, you know, what happened to that line. He wants to find the Skavarnas. Yeah. He wants to find direct descendants of him, of himself or of his village. Because mm-hmm. um, obviously Gar are still prevalent on Eternia. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That that clears that up because the, the, the overall idea to me was he was just looking for his race again. Like there were only <laughs> so many left or something. Like they were almost like an ex- – um, extinct species or extinct race on Eternia maybe, but that makes a little more sense to me now. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so the, the uh, two bad visits Vormus and Vormus <laughs> finds the, the separation spell that Stinkor <laughs> mentioned and he looks at it and he's like, Oh, here it is. And he looks at, you know, the different aspects of it. And at the end, he's like, I couldn't give this to you for any price. And he's, right. he's like scared. <laughs> and that's when two bads like, that's okay, and they basically just steal it from the guy, and right. they They're just like, go off. Pay, we're not going to pay you for it, anyways. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and and um, I like how um, the characterization of Too Bad in this really shines through a lot in the way that Tuvar versus Badra, and why they would annoy each other that way because. Tuvar is the one that always keeps pushing the envelope in this episode. He's the one that. It's like yeah. he'll steal from people. He'll he'll hurt people. <laughs> he'll he'll uh, he'll be sneaky and and do some stuff that messes with people in order for him to gain his upper hand in the situation. And Badra, Badra might not look smart and he might not sound smart, right. but he's the one kind of going. Maybe this isn't a great idea after a while, which I thought was great too. Yeah, no, they um, really they really played up the character there and uh, really gave them two distinct personalities. I rewatching, I'd forgotten how different they were, and picking up on the little bit of, like you said, the back and forth between them is great. Um, mm-hmm. Badra is obviously getting understanding the situation quicker than Tuvar, but he's also 
he also seems a little hesitant to like go against him. And it really, uh, it really digs deep into too bad as a character this series does in this episode in particular. Because the first episode, Monster Within, really set them up as two elite bounty hunters um, and really mm-hmm. powerful in their own rights. And we I won't go any more into that because we will get to that episode. Yep. It's a great episode. Definitely. But, and then for this, but the thing is, at, that, at the end of that episode, they're fused, like, too bad comes into existence in the last 30 seconds of that episode. So this is the first time, I believe I haven't watched it straight through in a while, this is the first time we really see too bad after he's been joined and really dig into him. He might, I'm, I want to say he popped up between now and then, but we didn't get he, his character beats. Yeah, he was he was basically a background character between those episodes, and this is the one where he's given the spotlight again for the episode. Right. So we and uh, we really see him. Sorry, one second. We really see okay. him coming to terms with it, and I love that they answered questions that you didn't even think about as a kid in the eighties with the original Too Bad and everything. You didn't even think about like, do they share a stomach? Do they, you know? <laughs> to me, I always thought like they were like, maybe even like they share, not shared a brain, but like, like they could, they could hear each other or like they were totally connected. You know, they mm-hmm. were one body in sync. You know, that's, that's the 80s too bad to me. He's, he's, he's in control. It's one guy with two heads is what it felt to me. Mm-hmm. Um. <clears throat> But here you you can tell they share the stomach, but they're very separate separate minds. They don't know what the other's thinking. They each actually control a half, as you see when they start fighting with yeah. each other. Um, <laughs> so I, I really liked all that. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just no. It, it, I I I'm very in, impressed by the way that 2000X makes me reexamine the characters in that way, like. Um, the, the one-off character episodes I do on this, this series in particular is it's usually the stuff that makes me appreciate these characters even more because, you know, like Stinkor, the way that we find out how he's created by the end of that episode, you're like, that's freaking great. And the way that they use him is completely opposite than how Lou Scheimer pictured the character because he just said, it's, it's a running fart joke. Why would we put him on the show? You know, but instead in here, it's like, no, he's like a weapon yeah. of mass destruction. Too bad, in, on the other hand, to me, it's like... And a fart joke. <laughs> uh, well, he did do that, but I, at the same time, yeah. they waited until the end to go there, so that didn't make me even remotely go, oh, come on. You know, It's like, that was it, it was funny enough yeah. that even Skeletor was laughing. And That's the way I look at it. <laughs> when, it when it popped up in this episode, I chuckled. I chuckled here at the, in sure. that beginning scene. But anyways. Yeah. Too bad. But, uh, too bad, I... I never thought about it until watching this episode. It has to be living hell to be him. Yeah. It has to be living hell to have, like you knew how you felt by yourself. Mm -hmm. You knew how you felt alone. You had your own ways of doing everything. You had your own ways. It's, it's like worse than a marriage and I'm not trying to say marriage is bad, but imagine (laughs) that you never can escape that person no matter what. I mean, like I, I know there's people out there with younger siblings and I'm sure they were like, oh, dear God, my younger brother or sister yeah. would never leave me alone. It's like, no, this – you never are left right. alone. That that has to be living hell. And that um, you know, Tuvar being the one that's just like, I can't take this anymore, I completely sympathize with him on that level. Um, mm. 
so I, I really enjoy this episode. And I, I like the Badra at one point or another. You kind of get this feeling like he doesn't really want to leave Tuvar. He's got this kind of like there, there's moments here and there where he's got this look on his face like, I don't want to lose you. You're kind of my buddy now, you know, and I, I like that, too, where it's like you have the one who's yeah. hell bent to do this and the other one who's kind of got this. Well, what what we're going to change everything if we don't do this now, you know, like he's almost set in his ways already. Well, that's what that's what I took it at. I think if he had the choice, I still got that he would separate Badrin. Yeah, but it was more the fear. The well, what what does this mean? Will we be back to normal? Will you know? Yeah, it seemed more fear of the unknown rather than, and that's that's not to jump too far. Well. I'll save it to Yen mainly. I'll, I'll save it. Um, <laughs> well, uh, but yeah, yeah I, I, I took his fear of the unknown, it. and basically, once all this stuff starts happening, he's sitting here going like, "I think even for him, maybe you know, and be, maybe being the the more monsterish, maybe he's a little bit more familiar with magic." Because I even got mm-hmm. that as it went on. He's I thought that he was kind of like, "Well, we this is kind of a big like." like spectacle going on here for yeah. you know so maybe he was even just just a little more like like it just in his mind he's like this this doesn't make sense this is a simple you know skeletor mm-hmm. made us like this with a simple spell and now it's this big thing to you know yeah now we're crossing attorney to get this stuff yeah, in so order to just create that the... doubt. whereas tuvar he might have that doubt but he's like I gotta do this. This is the chance. This is yeah. this is it, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah, so uh, they they get the they get the spell yep. the the tablet with the spell, but then part of it gets broken off, which yep. is you know the typical thing there. Perfectly, but just it, just the part it, with the bad results. The rest yeah. of it is fine. Perfect. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, and and then they end up going after the there's it what it's a I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. What try triad? It's triad. Of, I'm gonna open it up here so I get it right. The Triad of Decidium. Decidium. I was actually going to say that, but I felt like that was something else. The Triad of Decidium. They're after these three different pieces that, when they're formed together and they're put into the lake, well, what, what, or the Well of Darkness. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> the Well of Darkness. We're this is without people. even a script, folks. Um, <laughs> they, they they put the Triad of Decidium into the Well of Darkness, and this spell is supposed to be activated. Right. So they go after the first piece. I will say right quick. Uh, we we do have a couple little fun facts in the in the episode, guys. I don't know if you have the DVDs or not, or if you just. I do. They're actually right right in front of me, but I don't have them opened up. So go for it, right. since you have your your copy. Uh, and and there's not as unfortunately there's not as much um, James E. Talk. You really need to get on a animated guide to two thousand X series. Because <laughs> um, I know there's a lot. A lot of cool information out there, but this one just got a couple fun facts. Um, but it does say the word in decidium is a Latin word that means division, separation. So, very cool. Um, and yeah, and I also liked just on the design of that. It's the three pieces you put together, and it forms a pyramid, which is also mm-hmm. a three-sided object. Um, exactly. I, I just I love the designs in the the like we said before. The design, the character designs, the the uh, object designs. Honestly, just the animation as a whole held up better than I remembered. Watching it this morning, um, 
I know I, I nitpicked when it first came out, but watch it this morning. This animation really holds up, guys. It's it's really well done, especially later in the season here and going into season two. Yeah. But yeah, so they set off to find the piece. They set off to find the piece, and uh, let's see, they get the first one without too much trouble. Yeah. And that sets off a psychic alert to the sorceress that mm-hmm. something bad is happening because this the first piece has been found yeah. of the triad of Decidium. So she goes and calls in He-Man and lets him know this is what's happening. And we get a really cool flashback moment, which on this episode, my, my uh, problem with the beginning was always, it's a lot of telling, not showing. Right. And here we go. Larry Dettelio is letting us have the showing, mm-hmm. not telling mm-hmm. by here's <clears throat> the whole incident that happened where Hordak and the Horde Wraiths created these objects, and the whole point of it was they wanted to separate the light and dark halves or the hemispheres of Eternia. So his group, the Horde and and the evil beings, could thrive in the dark half while they would eventually conquer the light side. And as this spell was enacted, they realized they're not just separating the light and the dark half, they're separating the planet in half. Right. And Hordak, I like how how the sorceress says, Hordak, not being crazy enough to even risk his own evil life, decided to put a stop to it. And all of the three parts of the Triad of Decidium then were cast to the different corners of Eternia and kept safely away so that we wouldn't have the problem of the the world being brought in half or pulled in half. So that that definitely sets up nicely. This is what He-Man has to stop in the race against time aspect. And once again, I said it last episode, any episode where Eternia ends up getting thrown into chaos on a on a planet-wide level is always awesome to watch. Yeah. And it kind of sets the event in motion that that could be what happens here. Yeah, this was this was a great moment especially watching this back uh in 2003 when it aired because this is the first mention uh appearance anything of hordak so it was one of those moments it was my and i i, I don't know if i used this on the show or or not before but i know i've used it a lot with sean before but this is one of those smallville moments where it's like <laughs> oh my god they did that they went there and they mm-hmm. mentioned this so um yeah i that's my phrase of choice because uh i'm not gonna go on my rant sean I promise. <laughs> but uh, for me, the show Smallville, the original WB, which later became CW uh, show mm. with following young Car- Clark Kent, it was like it was one of those shows where it dragged on too long and I would keep swearing I was going to stop watching it. But then, like, something would happen that would suck me back in because, like, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, my God, he made the Fortress of Solitude. Okay. And then, like, nothing would happen. I'd be like, okay, I'm done. And then it's like, oh, no, wait, but there's Supergirl. And then I'm like, no, now mm-hmm. I'm done it. So I, I use that phrase, especially with Sean a lot. It's like a Smallville moment is like, and not to say that Mike Young's a bad show or that I was going to turn it off, but in it, for me, I've kind of taken it to be any moment where it like calls me back. Um, and it's like, oh yeah, they did that. Like, yeah, this was yeah, a big and- moment because up until this point, even like from the Four Horsemen, Mattel, anything like there'd been no mention of Hordak or the Evil Horde. They were very much focused uh, at this point in time on basically redoing original wave characters and setting up the story. So for them to actually do this, which I think I brought up in the beginning, I wish they'd done this a little bit more throughout the series, kind of sprinkling in seeds 
that could come up to other things. Uh, so we mm-hmm. see Hordak here. We see the Horde race uh, because they can't use Shadow Weaver because of legal issues. So they create these Horde race to kind of give Hordak his sorcerer aspect. Um, and obviously the doors open for Shadow Weaver to come in at some point, but they, they couldn't use her here. Um, and I believe the Horsemen were working on the Hordak design right now, but it wasn't finalized, which is why we see him in Shadow. Mm. Um, and I know if you look at him in Season 2 in the Powers of Grayskull episode, there are a few differences um, offhand. I can't recall them. I think like the length of the ears is a little bit different in the shadowy perspective that we see here. Um, but it was really cool, and it was a neat concept. They actually explained why Eternia has a dark hemisphere, which is something I never questioned, but um, but yeah, Hordak actually created, he scarred an entire half of the planet just to yeah. give his evil warriors a base that all the, the heroes would have a hard time fighting on. Like, And yeah, yeah. I, I, I love that, that he was smart enough even to go, well, this, this is tearing the planet apart. I can't do this. And there was no King Grayskull or anybody stopping him. He was just like, well, this is dumb. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> let me go ahead and separate. He's the one who separated them and hid them. He's like, I can't do this. I want to conquer yeah. this planet. Um, and that's already trying to set up Hordak, you know, uh, as a little bit different villain. And that's how I've always taken him, especially with the original She-Ra series where he was in control of Etheria, um, despite the poorly written episodes that don't make it seem like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's he's always been he's always been to me that uh, kind of a step above. He's a little more powerful. He's a little smarter, um, a little bit more calculating. Even where he's not, he's he Skeletor when he gets a plan, he will rush into it and he will follow it all the way through. I think Hordak is is he can kind of see the flaws in his plan a little bit better and make plans so that they won't be there. You know. Mm. for me uh, like that moment was was pretty cool just for the fact that when i was a kid and i played with the horde characters i never once had hordak transform his arm into a cannon or i never once no i never once did him turning into a rocket to get away for me my hordak was a sorcerer he was like this malicious conquering tyrant sorcerer that was he that's what separated him from skeletor for me skeletor skeletor had the sorcery aspect and stuff but i always looked at him as he wasn't a tyrant and he wasn't like this conqueror he wanted the power but he wasn't interested in like conquering everything that he possibly could like how maybe like dark side would in dc comics or something but hordak that's what made skeletor and he-man when i played always have to join forces because they were like, this guy's trying to do this to us, you know, at that point. And it was the whole, you know, your enemy is my enemy kind of deal, yeah. you know, the and and stuff. So Mike Young doing the Sorcerer Hordak made me thrilled because that was the way I always played with them. And, you know, Filmation had their take on it. I wasn't the biggest fan of how that one was. So the fact that Mike Young went to this just made me, you know, I'm clapping. Well, watching this just go like this is my horde act this well, is great so well i weep for your childhood then <laughs> i'm kidding i'm I don't. kidding i'm kidding um I no don't. you know me every viewpoint is valid i i get yeah. it. i get it i i grew uh blah, 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 blah. 
as I get older and I see that stuff, I mean, besides, I think I had like, I had, uh, you know, some of the kid stuff books in that where Hordak was a little bit more sorcerer. I, I don't yeah. remember any of the mini comics that came, for, that came with the Horde toy line as a, well, I, I take that back. I did have Grizzlor. Yeah, the Grizzler one's the easiest to go. Like, that one was, like, that one was creepy for me as a kid. It's like the Wolfman yeah. aspect of the way they played well, him we'll up. To, yeah. We'll get to that. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so for me, once again here, Filmation's kind of my base for everything. That's yeah. where I first saw Hordak. That's where I learned about him, you know. Uh, and mine was always a four-way uh, or a three-way team up because I, I did have some She-Ra figures, so I always had She-Ra, He-Man, and Skeletor fight, teaming up to battle Hordak because that's how nice. powerful I saw him as, you know, as this mm-hmm. powerful entity who conquers everything, the Horde Empire, you know. So. Yeah. Well, it, like, uh, it, when they initially introduced them, and this was before She-Ra, because that's, that's the thing, you gotta, uh, it's like, my reference is always going to be pre-filmation right. for everything, that's what introduced me to the Horde, like the Masters of the Universe magazine for kids when when that was out. Like that Earl Norm one of yeah. here's Hordak and he's got his hand out like that and he's shooting the fire, the, the energy out right. of his fingertips. That was always my default Hordak. Like he's this like powerful sorcerer. And then when Filmation went to what they did, yeah. I was like, huh? <laughs> like I re- literally in the theater watching Secret of the Stars, yeah. like where did that, how did he turn into a rocket? Like what? <laughs> and and it's like I kind of dug if you take technolo- like the technology and technological mm-hmm. side of the horde, but you also take the sorcery. That's kind of where he got you know the power, both sides of it. Yeah, and I but, like, I like that kind of idea. I like that like sorcerer Hordak. I figure that was like the Praetorian Hordak, and then he's he, as he's as time's gone on, he's become more technological. Technological. Yeah. Yeah, which, you know, I'm, I'm easy with either one, I guess, but I always, this is more, this is the, the, the primal version that I always was right. excited to see. And, um, and I, so I really like that we get that in here. Um, I would like to, and, point and the Horde that, race. that Norm poster does show Hordak in the blue skin, and it, it is does. Filmation Grizzlor and Filmation Leech and everything, so. <laughs> but it, like, you didn't see you didn't see Hordak very it, often shooting stuff out of his fingers unless it was a cannon. Yeah. You know that's what I'm trying. Nah, to say. I know. I just got. I just got <laughs> to give you. Grief. I'd have to look at that picture again because I know it was a blue skin Hordak, but I didn't realize it was legit like uh, Filmation Grizzler and everybody else. I have to look now at you've that. Got again. me doubting myself, but I'm 99 percent sure like Grizzler's got the more controlled fur and everything. Uh, okay. Um, Modulock. I'm gonna look Modulock's at Modulock's on there. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's he's like filmationy. But anyways, we've gone far. But I would. But one yeah, last thing. Yeah. One last thing. Uh, point putting it out there because Sean did kind of touch on it that you know pre filmation and everything. But the Horde were designed as a collaboration between Filmation and Mattel for the Princess of Power line. So okay, they they that has been. Documented, revealed the power and the honor foundation, you know, uh, Joshua Van Pelt and Emiliano Santolachia and um, a bunch of other people I'm forgetting right now. They did discover that Mattel and Filmation passed back and forth that concept art for the Horde during the development of the Shiva series. So no matter hmm. how Mattel released them, they were always going to be the villains in Shira. That's still cool. And, you know, mm-hmm. I... 
the the whole premise uh, i i'll just say this really quick and then we get back to it but the whole premise of shira going up against villains that are like that to me is badass yeah. and i the whole idea like a buddy of mine brought it up he's like you ever think that you know he man's on a planet where he kind of has he's got he's got the advantage it's all a peaceful planet for the most part and you know he's more the one that has to go into battle because skeletor's up to something but in shira She's got an uphill battle every freaking day of her life. And I'm like, absolutely. That is, you know, it's like, it is amazing to think about. And it's like, it gives way more credit than I would have ever given credit to She-Ra. Not that I don't like the character. It's just She-Ra is not quite on my radar the way the other ones are. But when I think of it in that way, it's like, yeah, Yeah, that's freaking great. And then you add into her backstory the the trauma of being raised by an evil organization and having to choose good. And if you keep the secret identity intact, having to prove herself to everyone around her, I mean, if... Yeah. And this is this is still... I, I, I won't rant. I will bring this up later when we cover different <laughs> episodes. But if we can ever get a series, like I feel that like the Kevin Smith series is going to be, that's more for us. If we can ever get a She-Ra series that's more for us and actually digs into Adora as... You know, and Shira being the secret identity and actually able to explore that dark past and what it's done to her and what she's got. Like you said, she's got to overcome the horde on a daily basis. Um, you know, that that planet spanning horde empire. Plus, she's she's got to have and filmation couldn't go there because it's a kid's show. She's got to have Bo and Glimmer and everyone else watching her constantly. Like no matter mm-hmm. how much good she does. One slip up, one failure, and they're going. Well, did she really, you know, lose in battle yeah. against Catra, or, or is this all a scheme? Is it all? Is she a plant? You know, I don't think. Just knowing, you knowing how people's minds work, that stigma is just going to be there. You know, so I it, I fully agree with that. I endorse if they would ever do that kind of storytelling in a Shira series that is more of an adult aimed series compared to the Netflix version. Like there's a ton of stuff that you could get into on there that, you know, secret of the sword glossed over or didn't even touch upon because they only had so many minutes to tell the story. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a wealth of stuff that you could draw from to tell a compelling story about Etheria the Horde, Shira, Adora, yeah. and all that stuff, and I think it's it's still yet to be told. Which yeah. you know, that's kind of exciting to me to think maybe we'll get another yeah, tale sometime. And, and for cross all, fingers, and for all those people sit there and go, "Well, Shira, she's just she's just a he man as a as a girl." It's like, dude, you have not watched a single episode <laughs> then because it, it, they made it as tonally different as they could. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so. I, I, yeah. Okay. I'm just gonna stop there. I can. I could keep well, going for hours. No. Too. No. No. It's. It, we. We can. It, we'll definitely get into some good Shira stuff. Oh, we will. Uh, and soon. Oh, so, trust me, listeners. Yeah. We will get. To it. <laughs> we will get to it. I will force Sean to watch some Shira. So. But so uh, it, back to, like back to separation. Exactly, because I mean, the, it, Hordak just opens the floodgates up to a whole bunch of stuff, and we're only talking about you know ten to fifteen seconds of the episode, oh, yeah, and there's. It just took us all the way down that point, but uh, so so yeah, the sorceress lets He-Man know the 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 triad of Decidian is 
uh, it's dispersed around Eternia. One, uh, the one is just like on the Earth or, or on Eternia, and that's the one that uh, too uh, that too bad already got. And then there's another no, one the, that's the water was first. Oh, the water was first. The okay, water was first. so. So that's oh yeah 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 he's underwater and he's got the scuba tank that's right. right so there's one underwater there's one underground in Subternia and then there's one just on the the, the forest, surface I guess the forest yeah. yeah it's 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 just this random here it is the forest yeah. you know um so now He Man knows okay one of them is taken he's got to find the other two before it's too late and um, this is where you get the moment of Badra having second thoughts because mm-hmm. when he man tracks them down into subternia um he doesn't want to fight them it's more of a i just don't yeah. want you to do this and that's what i think that's kind of what starts the the ball rolling of badger going i don't think this is a good idea because he realizes he man's not here to just fight us he's just trying to stop what we're doing at this point right. but tuvar is not having it <laughs> it's just that simple he, he's he's so sick of being connected to Badra, he wants to be gone. And it, they, it, it's like He-Man is one step behind through this whole entire episode, is. which is pretty, and, pretty cool. And I, well, I like that because this is the only time that He-Man catches up to them before they assemble it. Yes. So, and he tries to tell them what's going on and Tuvar ends up blinding him before, and, you know, and they run off before he gets a chance to. Mm-hmm. But I like that. I like that they didn't do, Larry didn't dumb it down for the kids. He didn't have them like constantly like not listening to He-Man. He just put them so far ahead. He-Man even He-Man couldn't catch up. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so I, I like that because a lot of times in these types of episodes, you'll get like that constant like, "No, trust me, I'm on your side." No, you're not. Run off. No, trust me, I'm on your side. And it's just like, come on. At some point, they got to listen. But mm-hmm. here it moves so fast, and actually, this is the only time He-Man even gets to them. He he, mm-hmm. he 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 doesn't defeat them even, which uh, seems to be a running thing about our, about our episodes here. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Spellstone, Damar the Demon, and uh, you know He Man's behind. He's and uh, and the villains kind of take care of themselves. But we'll we'll go on here. We get to the the Forest Temple next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that one's protected by a dragon. And and the thing is, we haven't even gotten. Oh, yeah. it, uh, are you going there? <laughs> well, I was just gonna say, but not just any dragon. But, but not just any dragon. <laughs> this is a dragon that we meet in an earlier episode in the season. Yep. So, and it, it's a dragon that Adam is kind to. And then the dragon knows Adam and He Man are the same because the dragon can sense that and smell it on him or whatever. Yeah. That okay, that, that this is a friend. And so that's really cool that we get a cameo again of the dragon that he helped earlier, which then ends up coming into play to help him with everything else at the end. Um, But yeah, that, that one, he's, he's late to the game. Like you said on that and they just get it. And then they're there at the well of darkness. Well, I did like, I did like really quick. I did like the, the scene with too bad fighting the dragon and how too bad just, uh, just takes that dragon down. He does, yeah. the dragon does that hard fall into the yep. forest. I mean, Two Man is very competent here. He did not lose a step by being merged together. There's still two very lethal bounty hunters mm-hmm. in one body. And when they 
And I think that's part of it here. As you see, when they are working together, they're beating He-Man. They're taking down dragons. Yeah. Um, they're 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 still learning how to work together, but they're becoming very powerful. Then. And you know, it, again, uh, I'm always singing the praises, but the MYP show really doesn't try to dumb down or turn uh, the villains into comic relief nine out of ten times. The only exception to the case I can honestly say is Clawful. And that's a whole different episode. We're not even going there. But, 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 like, most of the villains in 2000X, and even the ones who are cameo villains, like Marzo and uh, Evil Seed and stuff, they actually are competent and almost able to get away with what is happening in the episode. And I love that because I've never been a huge fan of the villains being played for comedic effect. That should be Orko's job. That should be Cringer's job. It should not be the villains. The villains should be characters that you legitimately are like, oh, crap, it's him, you know, or it's her or whatever. And giving the drama and the tension to the story, not the relief, of you know, the comedy to the story. So, so yeah, too, too bad takes out the dragon mm-hmm. and he gets to the well of, or, or uh, yeah, the well of darkness yep. and he's there like, okay, it's time. We're going to do this. And I, he's like, I'll be back in my body by, by tonight, right. you know, and he's all excited <laughs> and, and that like he and puts yeah. the one piece in and he starts assembling it and yep. putting it into yeah, it the, the pyramid. Yeah, and and Badger's having like a I don't know if we should do this. He man warned us. Yeah, He Man warned us. It's like I said uh-huh. before, it's it's this big elaborate stage to do this on. Yeah. And I think all yeah. that just kinda like red flag, red flag, red flag, and two yeah. is so hungry to get out of there yeah. that he's he's he doesn't care, honestly. I love it. I love it. And and um one of the best scenes in the, the show here I feel is uh, when when they're Badger is trying to stop him, and you really uh-huh. see the independence there, and, and how they each control a half, and Tuvar ends up uh, knocking Badger out. I love that. Like, I was just gonna bring that up. That that moment for me makes me feel so bad for Badger yeah. because he's really like they're still evil. They're definitely people that oh, they're yeah. in it for their own gains and stuff. But at the end of the day, it's it's that line from Gal- uh, from Guardians of the Galaxy. Why would you want to destroy the galaxy? It's where I live. You yeah. know? It's like, why would I let somebody destroy this planet? I live here. Right. You know, like that's horrible. And the, so, the, the um, animation in that part where I mean, it, Tuvar hits Badra, he goes limp, and like the whole uh, yeah. his left side, his whole left side, like Badra's head and his arm, like all go limp, and then Tuvar yeah. just kind of like holding up the rest of the body. Uh-huh. That's that's oh my god! That's such a neat concept. I mean, yeah. just to think of what that means. I mean, here, but in battle, like if you were to knock like one of them out, the other one could like limp to safety or keep yeah. on fighting. Like, I mean, that yeah. just makes him even more powerful, in my opinion. He, I, I, I forgot to bring it up earlier, but like I never had uh, other than Skeletor, I never really had like a favorite. Uh, villain yeah. on this on the series i think the closest to that would have probably been shakoti because of how like insane she was and how you know her pa- she was so powerful but like if i look at the original figure line i don't know if i could have picked out a another warrior that would have been like okay this is my next favorite right. bad guy or whatever 
for some reason in the last few years, though, and it could be because of this uh, episode, Too Bad is one of my top five yeah. for the bad guys. And it, I never – like I always thought he was a fun concept, but the, the figure – I mean it was just – you know, as a yeah. kid, it was like so what – but there's something about that character that it, it's it's so different and so it's crazy yet it works. Yeah. And and this is an episode where, like you're saying, all these little moments. It's like these are why. Like I think about these things now, yeah. and I'm like, this is why this works for me. It's 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 unsettling yet at the same time you kind of feel for the guy. You know, oh, you absolutely. feel for both halves to be connected like that. Um. Yeah, I never really, yeah. I never really ranked my villains, but I will say, too bad got a lot of play. He's one of the ones, like there are certain characters you just remember, like you just think about mm-hmm. it of your childhood, and certain characters pop into your head. And for me, for the secondary characters, it's guys like Cyclone and Too Bad. Uh, Clawful always jumps in there real quick in my mind. Um, so yeah, I've never really ranked them, but he's definitely always always been there as one of the more unique, the more detailed, and I know I I played with him a lot as a kid. Well, that's the with me as a kid, I think, you know, too bad and like clawful and that and whiplash. Yeah. That's kind of where whiplash. I drew the line yeah. of like these are the legit guys. Everybody who came before them <laughs> and from that point, that's it. Like Jitsu, Whiplash, Clawful. Uh, trap jaw, triclops, all those guys, and then after that, it was kind of I don't know about these guys, but this <laughs> this is my line in the sand. These are my. Uh. It, it's like if I was a bouncer at a club, I'd be like, yeah, you're allowed in. And Ninja shows up, no. <laughs> but now I like Ninja. Oh, Sean, too, so Sean's go one figure. of those guys. <laughs> I'm I'm just somebody that I don't know. There's there's like this core group of <laughs> each for the good guys and bad guys, where it's like these are pure masters. These are the guys that I'm like, okay. I always associate them in my head. Like they'll be in my head. If I even say masters of the universe, right. they'll all pop in there. But then when I get to like ninja or, or when I get to scare glow, even those guys weren't on the radar for me when I was a kid, nearly yeah. as much as the original ones. So then it's like, there's this, like I said, that's like my line in the sand. Rio blast is there, yeah. but I don't consider him there compared to man at arms right. or Tila or Fisto or something. And I think a lot of that's just, just our childhood. And we'll get, we'll get more into that, especially when we get to the UK annuals and comics and stuff, because that continued so far beyond, I mean, the UK stuff ran right up till new adventures. Like they published a nice uh, vintage comic one month. And then the next month they were into new adventures. Like it, there was no break for them. And I hmm. think that's why overseas, because they were getting all these stories with Snout, Spout, Scareglow, Ninjor, um, whereas we, all our stories were basically the earlier wave characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's why yeah, overseas we... you see a little more love for the later line and and a little more even for New Adventures, because it was a little more seamless. But we'll get into that another time when we get to some of that yeah. UK stuff, because there's some good stuff over there, too. So get, getting back to the story here, uh, He-Man shows up at the Well of Darkness while the spell is now happening. Yep. So we're getting to see the full effect of all of these, uh, I don't even know what you call it, there's towers like, yeah, but, of sorts. Yeah, and they're shooting out like geysers they're, of fire. It's like, yeah, it's like this, this is like apocalyptic kind of stuff. Like you can just tell 
this isn't good. And I like that even, even, ba- uh, to, to yep. var and, and Badger are there and Badger is now awake after getting knocked out. Yep. And, and Tuvar looks at him because, well, I didn't think your breath smelled that bad. Yeah. I've smelled worse. And right. they run. They don't even stop anything. They just make, yeah. make a break for and it. That, so then that's the moment where Tuvar is like, nope, Badger was right. All these red flags yeah. in my head, you know, and, yeah. th- and that kind of quick acceptance is why I feel he knew all along, but he was so hoping that he, that he yeah. was wrong. Exactly. And yeah, and I, and I love that ending that that's, and that's it. Too bad takes back off the snake mountain. He-Man's left to clean up the mess. Yeah. And, and while I would have liked to see a He-Man too bad showdown here, um, it, it's not necessary in this episode. It works better this way that this is all too bad story arc. And yeah. He-Man's just the, the janitor who's like, okay, I guess <laughs> I'm, uh, okay, everyone left. Uh, let's, let's clean this up. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm i a huge fan on this series of any time He-Man has to go up against some kind of an ancient artifact mm-hmm. because we we see him at one point go up against the Ramstone, which yep. is going to be a really cool episode to talk about. Another Larry Dottilio one. Yes. And um, we get to see that doesn't always work well for He-Man, and it makes – the the division of you know filmation he could go up against almost anything and he'd still be he-man and there's times on 2000x where he goes up against something so powerful where it'll knock the power grayskull out of him like uh, it makes me think about you know my mom hit me so hard it rebooted me and all that you know it's like that kind of a thing with with he-man at times on this and um it doesn't go to that extent but while he's trying to pull the the um triad of decidium out the whole time all i keep thinking is it's going to turn him into adam or it's going to yeah. uh, like in the way that i view it it'll be either it'll turn him into adam or it'll turn it into he-man and adam and it doesn't even go there yeah. but that would have been a really cool story point if it would have done something ridiculous like that i'm always one of those guys well, i've noticed that about me as we've talked it's like i want them to challenge him in a way where now it's yeah. like oh crap now there's this on top of everything else because that just amuses me, but yeah, he but manages if, to pull if, it out. If they had done that, though, they would have needed another twenty more minutes. Well, no, but then that, <laughs> but then that validates, um, or that that then it would have separated Tuvar and Badra too, right? No, and that's that's true. Which I, uh, you know, that's, it's like that's that where I go. It's sense. like okay, so if it yeah. does that to He Man, then it should have done that to Too Bad, and they should have achieved yeah. their goal, and. You know, so, I just think so any. I get what you're saying, and that to anything I could see it having the potential to knock him back to Adam, um, yeah, which we've seen before, and which I like. I like that he can be knocked mm-hmm. back to Adam. We'll talk about that yeah. more in that other episode. Yeah. But, um, but no, you're right. If it, if he yeah. if that would have happened to him, yeah, that would have made perfect sense, and then they would have got their way at the end. Yeah, and then and, and then you would have had Adam and He Man. They would have had to meet in a junkyard, and they would have had to fight. <laughs> you went so, there. I was just thinking that's the same thing. It's like, here's the entire attorney of He-Man versus Adam. And it's like, oh, crap. You know? <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, He-Man, I, I just I like those moments, though, where he's going up against these ancient artifacts. Oh, he doesn't even have the the clue of what will happen to him when he's actually like touching or having that power right. used against him. And I, I always love those moments on 2000 X a lot. Absolutely. Um, he manages to get it out of the, 
the the altar. panel or the altar, yeah, the altar panel that they have for the the well of darkness. Yep. And so then it's up to him to go and disperse it throughout the places in Eternia where they found it so that the planet will get back to normal. Because now, all across Eternia, this weather is going crazy. You're seeing uh, all sorts of stuff happening. The, the royal palace is getting the bejesus kicked out of Again. it at this point. <laughs> Again. It's like it, that, that palace on yeah. this show, there, there's two things I could think of, like – the the palace on this show takes a pounding like crazy, and Battle Cat is always knocked out usually. And so it's like those are the two. <laughs> and guess what happens in a minute here when he goes to the first piece. <laughs> I know, and I, it's like I'm watching it, and I'm like, of course, a tree falls on Battle Cat. Yeah. Why would it not fall on that? <laughs> right. And I don't even see the need. Yeah. So so they go to put the first piece back in the forest temple, and Battle Cat yes. gets knocked out by a tree. Yes. Which, you know, they did a good enough job in this episode showing the amount of time it took to cross Eternia, gather the pieces, and get to the Well of Darkness. Like, I, mm-hmm. the same as in that Spellstone episode, I and Damar the Demon. Look at all these, well, we keep picking the same episodes here. It's, we didn't even, we didn't even <laughs> pick this one. Uh, Dan Rice did. But, yeah. Um, but they did a good enough job showing that it takes time to travel here. That I, they didn't need to knock Battle Cat out. They could have just said, well, we don't, you know, even just a sorcerer, He-Man, you don't have time for this. It's taking too long. Because uh-huh. you can see the planet tearing, you know, the, yeah. you, uh, it cuts to the palace. The masters can barely keep, uh, keep the flames out, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's lava shooting up through yeah. the palace at points and stuff. I mean, there's, there, there's like legit. Fear and I, I think they could have just gone with the, well, we need a faster way. Battlecat's fast, but he's not fast enough. You know, mm-hmm. flying's always going to be quicker than, than a train or a bus. I mean, that's just, no matter, that's not even taking Battlecat's power level down. He's still one of the fastest animals on Eternia, but... Flying, on the ground, uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> but flying's just a faster mode of transportation. So luckily yeah. the dragon's feeling better now and offers He-Man mm-hmm. a lift and they leave Battlecat knocked out there. And <sighs> and lucky Battlecat. lucky for He-Man, he took the one to the forest first because otherwise right. he would have been in even worse trouble if he would have gone to the other options without having the air transportation. Well, I will but, say I thought it was a straight... Yeah, they're going back in order. Yeah. So it's kind of the, the journey... Far, mm-hmm. closest to farthest, so. Yeah, so... It would have been, so he... been worse if the forest was the first one and he went to that one first, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, so. yeah. So, so what I, I what I like is, you know, you, you get the whole race against time. These are the moments where Filmation would have had the He-Man song just blasting out of every speaker in your house Absolutely. because it would have been him, you know, doing these feats of Hercules yep. to try to protect this planet once again. And uh, I, I just got amused. I mean, the, the Subternia part where he replaces it really isn't like a amazing part. You just see he replaces it. Yeah. You know, the, the, the structures are falling in there and stuff, but he manages to get it where it needs to go. When they get to the water. Yeah, the water is fun. I like the water part because he's like, down, we have to go down. Yeah. And the dragon's just like, really, dude? Yeah. I like that there's this moment where I thought either the dragon's like, really? Or the dragon's like, 
I'm setting you up. Right. This is going to be cool. And then he's like, oh, yeah, dragons and water don't mix. So he pulls out his sword and he runs across the dragon and dives into the yeah. water. And it's it's spectacular. It it's so, one of those moments that, you know, it's like, yeah, He-Man's doing stuff. Yeah, you know? it's, it sounds it probably sounds pretty boring us just describing it because it is just He-Man going to put three pieces back. There's no yeah, there's no, you know. There's no evil warriors trying to stop him. There's no, I mean, he's got a little, like you said, a little bit of like lava and, you know, rocks crumbling and yeah, the natural stuff. But just the whole sequence with the music, very little dialogue, wonderfully animated. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know why he chooses to swim with a sword because that seems a little more awkward, but it looks yeah. awesome. It looks so, awesome. It's, it's like a Michael Bay movie. Sometimes <laughs> it just hits you in the right way and you're like, why would they do that? Right. Because it's awesome. It That's all awesome. you need. <laughs> um, and it also, like I said before, th- this He-Man very much feels like a younger He-Man. This is a He-Man that's learning his powers, learning his abilities, you know. Um, yeah. And, yeah, even his struggle under the water, because he, he doesn't have time to grab scuba gear or anything. So he just, I'm going to hold my breath and swim down yeah. here. Uh, and, and shockwaves knock him back, and he gets buried under rocks, and... I'm just sitting there thinking about that, like, man, I can barely hold my breath underwater for 30 seconds. Here he is yeah. holding his breath, swimming, uh, busting his way filmation style out of this pile of rubble, yeah. all while holding his breath. <laughs> exactly. And people who say and that's that, what makes him He-Man. People who say <laughs> that Barbie has unrealistic standards for women. <laughs> look at He-Man for us little boys, all look, right? Yeah, look at He-Man. <laughs> we're trying to we're trying to swim like a. You know, uh, the length of a swimming pool, and He-Man's in there yeah. doing all this crazy stuff, and he never, for one second, was like, I think I need to take another breath. Nope, I'm good. I got plenty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yes. So, yeah, and it, it's it's resolved as quickly as it began. Yeah. It, you know, he gets it in there, and boom, the, the, the world is safe again. But what was really cool, actually, is on the way there, you get to see, it, like, this, it, you have that moment where the sorceress comes up, and she's like, oh, the planet's tearing itself apart. And you can see the separation slowly actually taking yeah. shape. Like, the, here's the, the actual center of Eternia being stretched and ripped in two. And then you start seeing the gravity on the planet start going nuts. And there's trees floating yeah. and rocks are floating. And it's showing you, you know, this is this is it. The game oh, over absolutely. if you're not going to pull this off. So. The stakes are definitely revealed, and I like that quite a lot too. And then you get you get the wrap up there. They're back at the royal palace, putting everything together again, and you do get the Roboto Cyclone subplot wrap up, where you know uh, Roboto's saying he doesn't sense any more sadness in Cyclone, and it's because Cyclone says, you know, well he's he's realized that you know not some about not just blood makes family, you know, yeah, that the masters are his family now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which, which I'll get more of that in a minute, but it, it, it's a nice little wrap up to that subplot. They, they did make it back in time to help like put out some fires and stuff and, and mm-hmm. help save a lot of people. Um, and then you get the too bad wrap up where they're back to eating again. Cause you know, he- hiking all over <laughs> Eternia, some, some, <laughs> yeah. some hard business. And it's funny too, because in my mm-hmm. mind, I remembered a little more, I don't know if it just me, me misremembering or reading it wrong when I originally saw it, but when I originally saw it, I saw it, um, this closing sequence with Tuvar and Badra, 
I remembered it as a little bit more of of like they were at peace with like accepting of their fate now. But then mm-hmm. when I rewatched it today, I didn't pick up on that. Like it, it seemed more like they were they would still take any chance they could to be separated. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it is just bickering. I, I don't know why I thought that. If it was just something in my head, or what, what do you think about that ending scene with them? I no, I I actually had the same thing the first time I watched it, where I was like, oh, you know, they're just kind of there, and he's they're 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 happier knowing, hey, at least we didn't die, you know, or something yeah. at the end. But in this one, it's like, no, he he's still there. He's complaining. Tuvar's right. like, oh, come on. I'm still stuck with this guy. And then uh, the one thing that gets me is the last episode, like I said, Stinkor's introduced mm-hmm. and we have the fart joke. Yeah. Well, at the end of this episode, we we have an eating scene mm-hmm. and we have a burping moment for comedy. Yeah. And it, uh, it makes me laugh. That one made me laugh pretty well too because I like the two of ours complaining and then the middle of the complaining he just belches really loud. Right. He's like, see, I can't stand it. Hey, Badra's <laughs> eating, yeah. No, I chuckled Ooh, too and it was and then they just start, they just start fighting and one of them slams mm-hmm. the other's head into the table and it's well, like... he, well uh Badra's the one that pushes the food right into yeah, his face yeah. this time around and stuff and it's like I don't know. I, that's probably why I like them as characters is they're so like, they're so competent. We're yeah. seeing in this episode, these guys could take down He-Man and He-Man actually would be in trouble. Right. But then at the same time, because they have that bickering right. and they have that, you know, that way about them, they're not going to get further ahead. And I like, no, no pun intended. Oh, you intend, they're not gonna, you intended that pun. I, I was hoping so hard not to go there, but it went there. But I, I yeah. like how it just shows, like, you know, all the villains in some way or another on this series are capable right. without even the other ones helping them. But there's always something about them that makes them need to be reined in by Skeletor and need to be reined in by the other yeah. evil and warriors. There, there's that flaw. That's the reason that they're not on top. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, in the, in the heat of the battle, when those two halves are working together, and they do, they get in sync really quick. You see that. Whenever yeah. they're faced up against something, a common enemy, they're go, they get right into it, they take them down. Um, but, but when they're by themselves and they get going, it's, it's just, they're, they're constant bickering and fighting. And, and I love mm-hmm. that bit of animation at the end where they're, where they're just wailing on each other. And it was perfect to yeah. end the episode. Because, it, like I said many times throughout here, this is too bad's episode. It says, mm-hmm. He-Man's there to pick up the pieces. Um, the Roboto-Cyclone subplot. And I think that's... <sighs> Watching it today, because even when we, me and my buddies, we used to gather around every... Whenever it was on, whatever day of the week it was on at that time, because Cartoon Network moved this show around <laughs> constantly yeah. in its schedule. It was... Thursday nights, it was Friday nights, it was Saturday nights, it was part of Toonami, it wasn't part of Toonami, it was a mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when me and my friends were gathering around, I still remember us going, like, like who cares about all that? Like, the Roboto Cyclone part. Uh, watching it today, I get what Larry was going for. Because the whole episode is really about family. Um, mm-hmm. Too bad being forced to be like you said earlier in the episode i didn't want our episode i didn't want to get into it too much there because i wanted to get through the episode but tuba has been forced to be closer than two people have ever had to be closer than husband yeah. and wife closer than brother sister you know so it's them 
it's them accepting their new family and that they're stuck with them, which is more what yeah. it is at the end, that they're just like, well, I'm stuck with you. So, and, and Roboto or Cyclone, you know, looking, looking for his family and finding it. And, and it's all that, that family theme there. And you do have that bit in the beginning too, with, with, uh, Duncan and Marlena versus Adam and Tila in the game and everything. I still think it was. It still feels a little awkward watching it today. That that Cyclone Roboto subplot, but I get what they were going for. That symmetry about about the choosing, which is good advice because a lot of people are stuck with toxic families or toxic relationships. But choosing your family versus being stuck with your family versus, uh, you know, your actual birth family. Uh, there, there's. It's a really good theme in there. I, I think mm-hmm. it could have been a little, uh, a little clearer. I'm not sure how, because I'm not a writer by any means, but but I get what he was going for there. I I think for me, I think it's the weakest part of the episode mm-hmm. because it's such a small part of it, and I like like you're saying, I get it, it's the theme, and that's fine, but there was so much good going on with this episode with getting the the different pieces of the artifact in order to create the spell in order to do this and that and then the idea you know you're crossing all across Eternia to get all these different things and then to return those different things by the end of it and also the race against time you have the planet getting rid it's like there's so many facets to what's happening in this episode that that's one of the moments where I just sit there and I go I get what you're trying to do, but we don't need that because it's kind of a given at this point that this a plot is way more, way more advanced and way more to do with this that anything else is just going to be chewed up in, in the process. And, you know, it's like, I'm usually a fan anytime Roboto shows up in 2000 X because Roboto is actually one of my favorite characters on the series. But even that I'm like, you know, I get why they went there. I like that Cyclone had a little bit of a moment yep. because he hasn't really had many um, at this point. He had the Amwat Gar yeah. episode, and he helped out in um, in the one episode with uh, Roboto's Gambit, where he he uh, he and He Man are like the front line against uh, Triclops's Bone Warrior guys and right. stuff. But you know, it's like that's that's all well and good, but I felt like it just kind of undermined him to be used in that way because he didn't have a whole lot of uh, mileage yeah, for this one. Exactly. Yeah. See if I, that's what I'm getting at. If they could have just somehow dialed that into the episode more, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe, maybe even honestly, maybe even take out he man and have Roboto and Cyclone somehow. I don't know. I don't know. If they could have, well, if they could have had Roboto and Cyclone be the ones more, inadvertently trailing too bad. Like maybe they're just chasing down this lineage, trying to find some remaining survivors of Cyclone's village. And they were inadvertently chasing too bad. That might've helped um, a little bit more. Well, they, they could have had it where one of the pieces was an Anwar Gar. Yeah. Yeah. And then that would have led to them finding, you know, like that, that's the main thing. It's like, it didn't tie into the story other than the theme. Right. And that's kind of why to me, it just feels like I would have rather just have seen more of either He-Man versus Too Bad 
or something more with too bad or something. Because honestly, like the way they did um, their entrance, because that, that was that was one of the parts that I liked about that B plot was, mm-hmm. you know, when when the the planet starts going crazy and you have these like ridiculously dark clouds and all this ridiculous lightning coming out and they're in a wind raider. Yeah. And the, you know, Roboto is like, we should land. And so Cyclone's like, no, we have to get back to the palace mm-hmm. there. You know, our friends need us. And then when they show up, they have like a Superman kind of a moment <laughs> in a way where like, uh, you know, all hell's breaking loose. Yep. Man at arms is directing people here and there. There's people running for their lives there's stuff falling and out of nowhere this stuff stops because cyclone is holding it up using his wind force yep. and throwing it off to the side i'm like that was cool that was like a really right. great heroic moment but it really is like i said it's a drop in the bucket compared to everything else you're gonna see in this exactly. episode yep that's it exactly needed to be tied into the main storyline more sure but other than that uh it's a great episode um it's it's a, it's the villain story there's there's mm-hmm. no the heroes are just there, just to be there. He man cleans up. Um, like I said, man, that animation. I'm still. It's been it's been a while even since I've sat down to watch a 2000 X episode. Um, the animation's really holding up. I would yeah. lo- I would love to see. You know, as much as I love all the filmation stuff that's coming out and has come out, I, I'd really still. And I said it back in 2000 X. I would really love to see some small statues. In the Mike Young production style, um, that's something we have never gotten. Especially He Man, they have a very distinct He Man, mm-hmm. a very distinct power sword. Uh, it's so much different. Even and I know everyone's gonna chat. Well, you've got the pieces to build a 2000X He Man out of classics. It's like, no, you had the pieces to build a toy 2000X, a four horseman He Man. We've never really gotten a Mike Young He-Man. It's yeah, or Tila really. I mean, there's. I, I would just love all of them. They, they it's a very unique art style. I would it love is little, little statues or something in this style. Well, that's that was one of my complaints, uh, even about the toy line. When you watch the show and then you look at the toys, the show has He-Man looking like a mountain. Yep. And I know, like, you know, there's people who complain King Grayskull looks even bigger than He-Man. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's like these are larger-than-life characters yep. that are allowed to go this way. That's why the comic books are drawn the way they're drawn, even with the heroes having all that, like, crazy muscle right. definition. And so, you know, to see to see something representing the actual cartoon of this, like, I would be all in. Like no no if fans or buts. I would be all in if they did a classics line mm-hmm. and said, okay, the buck is going to be a little different because we're finally going to have that bulky, bulked yeah. up He Man look and all that stuff. Oh my god, I'd be weeping tears of joy because this is something I want to see represented somehow. Either statues, like you're saying, or something. even like you know doing yeah. here's the 2000 X legit official He Man right. Tila Man at Arms instead of cobbling together pieces yep. and stuff um it's got such an awesome defined look yep. and uh, the thing i love is the the animation on this show doesn't for one second take away from what the horseman did with the line what it does 
is it streamlines those designs so that you can still appreciate it and really take the best parts of those designs away from it. But then when you see the figures, you're looking at them and just going, yeah. like, these are a still gorgeous to look at because there's so much detail in those characters. Right. But, they, but they're not Mike Young. They're, they're not. I yeah. Mean, they have – this is Skeletor, obviously, but oh, – mm-hmm. they're, they're very unique designs. I, I still like that uh, – the power sword. They did much better on the power sword. It looks less technological. I like the brown handle on it. I, I like the Mike Young power sword better than mm-hmm. the toy power sword. Yeah. Um, and I found it funny, too. I, I uh, opened this up today and as I keep everything. So this shows you around the time that this was released. Um, it actually came with an ad in it. Uh, for the beginning oh, yeah. of the classics yep. line, a little one-page ad for the first time ever, King Grayskull. Yep. Um, available first at San Diego Comic-Con. I'd forgotten this was in there, actually. So that, wow. That was a neat little thing. Yeah. I'm going to have to go through my set because I, I got the – here, I'm going to have to adjust my video, but let me show you here real quick. I got the big mamma jamma. Way back in the day. Woo. Oh, See, this you is got why I don't the slip cover. I did that at Best Buy. <sighs> that was a must have. I'm still regretting so, that to this day. You got the, the He-Man, and, and this is a Miliano artwork yep. right here. And then yep. on the back, you got your Skeletor. Yeah, all your evil warriors, yep. And, the, and then the you got ending the... Ending uh, of the diorama. Yep, there you go. And, and I'm never going to be able to find that now for a price I'm willing to pay. <laughs> I, I had to do that when I found out about them releasing this because I had been yeah. watching it on YouTube exclusively. And then when I found out they did this, I, I went out and I got that. I'm going to have to look through this again because it's, it's, I've been watching this stuff just on YouTube. I haven't put these yeah. into my DVD player in a long that's, time. That's actually how I watched it today too. I did not. <laughs> I feel almost bad doing that because I feel like I should go – because the, the other thing about those that I really love is they actually show a lot of the design. They do. Um, they, of- they go into – and I remember like when I first got those, I put them into my computer hoping to do screen caps of them. And yeah. I couldn't get any screen caps because they're, they're, they're locked. Yeah. So you can't even do that. So only stuff on there you can look at on there. You're not going to find that probably anywhere else online. Right. Yeah, no, very, there's a, very there's a lot of places. good behind-the-scenes stuff on there, special features, mm-hmm. uh, commentaries. Uh, no, they're great. Um, and yeah, I, I don't play my DVDs much either. I, I'm so afraid, especially on stuff like this that has really shot up in price, that mm-hmm. I'm really afraid of scratching them or wearing them out. Or I mean, I mean, you know, it's physical media. They're going to degrade yep. over time. Yeah, uh, DVDs are better than VHSs used to be, but still, I'm I'm very afraid of that. I only pull them out if I want to watch something that I can't so, find on YouTube. Do you have the ones that it's just like here's all of them on a, a couple disc, and it's just in that one box that you showed? It's out of curiosity. No, this is the volume. Oh, okay. You got the volume. I got the three. Okay. I got the three volumes. Okay, okay, but you just don't have the slip cover. I never okay. bought the slip cover because the slip gotcha. co- the slip cover. Right. Uh, when volume three was released, the Best Buy exclusive was the the slip cover. Yeah, and I I just kept going to Best Buy buying them because it was yeah. a quick way to get them 
on the way home from work usually. Oh, so you did buy these when they first came out on DVD. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When I found out that they were doing it, I'm like, oh, I'm getting these because I just uh, it's like I said on the, the first episode, you know, I sat in my room for like a week and I just kept watching them right. and I was like, OK, just get over the transformation. Hit. Don't don't worry about the transformation. Just what else it works. And then it's like everything about this works. I just don't right. like the transformation. Okay. And then I found out, yeah, they're going to be released. So I was like, give me, I just, every time I knew they were going to come out, I just go to Best Buy and grab the next yeah, one. That's, so. that's how I was when the filmation came out. And then when these came out, I did buy uh volume one at target because the target exclusive was you had the beginning uh, edited as the movie, like it originally appeared oh. on a separate disc. Uh, whereas the original, the release just has them split up into the three parts. Mm -hmm. Uh, volume two, I actually got that. I forget. I think it was best buy and it came with like an exclusive, like foil print or card or something. I got, I I know mine. Yeah. Mine have, I think one or two artist cards, like the, the filmation one did too. Yeah. They all have the art um, cards, but there was a special, Okay. There was a special okay. something. I don't remember. There was another exclusive for Volume 2. And then Volume 3, I never actually got around to getting that when it was originally released. And I had to buy that uh, off eBay just a couple of years ago. Gotcha. So, but I should have gotten that slipcover. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, I, yeah, it, it's, completes it's, the set. it does. It does. It's, it's a nice little package deal then. So. so, I think all that's left is our ratings um Mm -hmm. like i said this is a great episode great character development for too bad animation's great storyline is all near perfect it's a larry solid episode (laughs) yeah i gotta go an eight i gotta go an eight out of ten i do too (laughs) my minor nitpicks which you have all just heard i won't get back into them but minor nitpicks aside it's a solid eight yeah, I I think uh, the the cyclone thing was the only part that I feel like is a weak link in the entire episode, mm-hmm. um, and I mean there's episodes that are a ten, no no matter oh, what in this series, but uh, but this one, if if somebody said to me it's a too bad centric episode before I watched, I would have been like, okay, yeah, you know I would have because he's not one that I would have ever pictured like that, but when you see how he's used, it's like. Mm-hmm. Man, if you don't like him at the end of this episode, I don't know what to tell you. Right. It's, the it's such a great there, the characters there, a little yeah. cameo by Hordak. I mean, it's just this, yeah, this that is pushed firing it on all cylinders. Edge. This is yes. it's right there. Yep. All right. Well, I guess that about wraps it up. Uh I do want to say to all of our listeners out there, thank you so much. I see our YouTube counts are rising. We're doing very good on Podbean and iTunes. Um, please like, share, subscribe, give us a comment. We'll read it on the show. Um, I do want to say, I want to say it was Paul's one love. Uh, he did comment on our, uh, Curse of Spellstone episode. I kept forgetting to give him a shout out, but thank you, Paul. Um, thank you. Anybody else out there? Just, we're looking for feedback, you know, even yeah. if you don't want to like and share and subscribe, whatever, you know, just drop us a line. Tell us, tell us you love us. Tell us you hate us. Just. Let us know we're not talking out into the void, will you? <laughs> and I mean, honestly, uh, this episode, we instead of us choosing the episode that we were going to review, 
we wanted to reach out to the people who love masters on top of all that stuff. Mm-hmm. We're going to do that more often. We right. want to, we want to have more back and forth with our listeners. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely let us know if there's an episode you want us to riff off about and we'll, we'll sit here and talk shop about it like we did with this. Uh, yep. And uh, thank you, Dan Rice for uh, mm-hmm. suggesting it. And I, I know with Dan, there's a 99% chance we're going to talk 2000X. So when he said yeah. that, I'm like, I'm not fighting you at all. That <laughs> makes me happy. Yep. Separation being the episode. I love that episode. Um, so, yeah, thanks, uh, Dan Rice, for that. And uh, anybody else out there? And, Dan, if you have any other suggestions for future episodes, yep. uh, never, ever feel free or never, ever feel that you can't say, hey, you know, Matt, Sean, yeah. talk about this because well, we're it. happy to do it. So. Yes, yeah, so and I'm going to get better about putting links in the descriptions down below. Um, Sean's going to get better at sending me all his links so I can put them in there. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah, working on it. <laughs> uh, find us on Facebook. We've got Legends of Grey School fan page. Look for Matthew yep. Dutcher, Sean Scavarna. We're friends with lots of people out there, um, and I'll, I'll I'll friend anyone who ta- wants to talk shop about masters. Um, Same here. So yeah, so just just let us know. Drop us a line, drop us a comment, visit on Facebook, like, share, and subscribe. Ring that bell so you know when new episodes are premiering. Mm -hmm. And since there's nothing else, until next time. (laughs) Until next time.